Well, I'm back. It's good to be back. I didn't know if I was coming back. Uh, I did a podcast last fall on how to invest in the stock market, the beginner's guide. I put it on uh, Spotify and other places as well. And it's been very interesting times watching this podcast grow. I've been debating for several months if I should continue writing and podcasting. I've accomplished my main goal, which you may remember, was to document my thoughts on investing in the stock market so I could pass that knowledge on to my wife and adult children. As a bit of an update from my first season, as of early April 2020, my podcast has been listened to over 30,000 times in over 100 countries and over 1,000 cities. Let me just say this. Wow, are you kidding me? What this really is, is a testament to technology and the ability to get information out to the world. It's mind boggling to me. The thought that a regular retired guy like me could get my thoughts out there and have this many people across the globe listen to it. I'm humbled and I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful because my main goal was and is to simplify and help people navigate this complicated subject. I'm thankful thankful because I've received emails from hundreds of people who have both give, given positive feedback, and it does give me energy. Therefore, I'd like to, at this point, thank everyone who has sent me emails of encouragement. It, it has meant the world to me. It's given me energy to continue writing and podcasting. I have asked for feedback, and the podcast has been well-received, at least to this point. You may recall I did say, if you have negative feedback, keep it to yourself because I'm doing this for free. There are several things, though, I've learned since I started. One is that just under 60% of the people that listen to my first podcast don't listen to the second one. I found this interesting and, and paused to understand why that might be. It may be because it's too simplistic or that the quality is poor. You may recall I've never had any podcasting training or experience. I'm self-taught, and I'm not sure that I'm up to the quality of the professionals who podcast every day and out of the studios. I, I, I'm, I'm positive I'm not, I'm not sure. that I know I'm not. I did not take on this project to make a professional podcast, and even after reflecting in the last 90 to 100 days and the over 30,000 plays, I'm still not motivated to, to do studio-quality podcasting. I'm not interested in monetizing this in any way. My intentions are pure, and my goal is to continue to help people understand at least, in, at least a portion of the stock market, buying and selling individual stocks. I was talking with a young man the other day that is starting a life coach business, and in the discussion, we talked about value. My statement to him was this, what people look for in a service or product is value. Does this product for the price I paid bring me value? Well, you're not paying the price for my podcast. My goal is to bring value to you. When I was a manager for a Fortune 500 company, I used to tell the folks that reported to me, if I can't bring you value as your manager, the least I could do is get the hell out of the way and let you do your job. When I would call on executives of national chains all over the United States, I would tell them at the appointment that if I didn't bring them value, I knew they wouldn't see me. That you receive value and deliver value in many ways, and my goal is to bring you some value in this subject matter. Before I move to the subject matter, I want to do a quick rehash of the first season in case that you had not listened to all the first seasons. So I'll call this on previous episodes of the first season. But before I get into that, as you all know, I've shared personal stories throughout my podcast, and I have some personal news that's pretty cool. On February 6th, I became a grandpa to a grandson. 
My grandfather was John, my dad was John, I'm John, and I named my son John the Fourth. Well, my son and daughter-in-law honored me with naming their son John V. My grandfather died when I was three years old and I never knew him. He passed at 65 with a misdiagnosed appendix issue. It burst and he passed away. My dad, John II, lived to 82 years old and knew my son very well. And I will tell you this, if he'd ever lived to see John V born, he would have been over the moon. Really, kind of like I am. Now, my grandson, being born at the beginning of a worldwide coronavirus pandemic and wanting to keep him safe, we imposed distancing for him. Even though my son lives very close by, I still not even held him. Now, I'm not looking for sympathy, and I mean it. Imagine my poor daughter-in-law and son having a baby during a pandemic. Many out there, and I'm just acknowledging it's tough sledding out there personally for everyone. Now, you may recall from previous episodes, I don't have a job, I don't have a pension, and the stock market is my living along with a small Social Security check. My wife has not worked outside the home, and she doesn't yet get Social Security. So, what do you do in the stock market crash of epic proportions? It is hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime event. Do you panic? Please, no. I was on a walk the other day with my wife, and ran into a couple of friends who were both very smart people, uh, one, both lawyers. One's a judge. They asked me, should we sell everything to get out of the stock market? I said, sure, if you want to lock in all your losses. You don't sell anything. You don't lose anything until you sell. I said very early on in my podcast that investing is simple. Sell at a price higher than you bought it at, and you're going to be okay. Now, I'm not trying to make light of this because on paper, I took a beating in this last month, a trip to the woodshed. So what did I do? At first, nothing. I kind of pulled the covers over my head, refused to even look at the market, and waited for the dust to settle. It's really not even settled at this point. It's still far from over at this writing, however. It's recovered a bit. I'm still in the woodshed, but for the most part, I'm still happy with my portfolio. Mainly because of two things. The first is, I, for the most part, buy good dividend-paying stocks and dividend aristocrats. Strong companies that have been paying and increasing dividends for over 25 years, some for over 50 to 60 years. I live off the dividends. That is my income and how I pay my bills. So I must buy companies that can withstand this type of event, the pandemic. Now, I'm realistic too, and I understand that we are in unprecedented territory with this pandemic. And no one, and I mean no one, knows how this will turn out. However, as long as dividends are paid, I don't have to sell any stock for at least 10 years. And I believe this may be a five to 10 year event. Secondly, and I'm honestly not trying to be arrogant, but I plan for this. I'm not Nostradamus, but I did live through several big stock turndowns. Nothing like this, although 2008 was pretty close, but that was pretty much a United States issue and not a global issue, not a global event. But without a job and not wanting to work for someone again, I positioned my portfolio and personal expenses accordingly. I positioned myself for a downturn that could take up to 10 years to recover and make sure that I could still pay my house payment, etc. Therefore, I'm not really worried yet, don't know what the future is, but because of this, I can sleep at night. The thing about it is this, life in general is not linear, and the stock market is anything but linear. Now, full stop, since I launched my podcast, I've received hundreds of emails, and I will say that I'm so pleased with a positive feedback, but the most asked question in the last 30 days has been, should I get in now? Is this a good time to buy? And again, with my friends, should I get out now? Is this a good time to sell? So 
Is it a good time to buy? I would say, in my experience, yes. If you're young, you're getting the opportunity to buy great companies at bargain basement prices. Great wealth is going to be achieved by many people from the panic of others selling. I'll give you an example. My son recently changed jobs and rolled over his 401k from his previous job into a self-directed IRA. He asked me to help with his investments, and then the stock market crashed. It was really good timing for him. But I said, you know, I think you should buy Amazon. And Amazon had taken a beating. It was down to 1,700 share. He only bought 10 shares, but in less than a month, it's now trading over 2,000 a share for over a $3,000 profit. So therefore, I say, if you have cash to invest, there are some great bargains out there right now. Now, I understand that by the time most of you hear this event, it will be over and long gone, basically because as lazy as I become, the length of time for my writing the podcast is who knows how long. The bottom line is this, though. The market will always give us investors challenge and be prepared for the challenge. Secondly, if I can get this out quick enough, I think the earthquake has happened and the global economic tsunami is coming in the form of recession and probably depression. I hope not, but again, I'm not a professional, but I believe we will test stock market lows in August of 2020 and throughout the fall. I mean, you just can't shut down the world and not have major economic ramifications. In this setting, I won't politicize this or give my opinion on how it was handled, but it certainly will have some long-term economic pain. Now, for young folks, I think it's great news. Your money is going to go much further when stocks are on sale. And in 30 years, when you need this money, you will probably be very pleased with the investments and the cost, the, the price that you bought them at. For others, without the benefit of youth, it's still great news. What I did was shave off a couple of positions and took profit to generate some cash to take care advantage of some really beaten down stocks. Not only are the beaten down stocks a buyer's paradise, but the dividend yield exploded on some stocks. I own some REITs that paid up to 10% dividends, and now with the beat down in price, the yield is over 20 to 30%. I mean, come on, man. As long as they keep on paying dividends, this is outstanding. So full stop. It's crazy times out there. We're not out of the woods yet. I want to be optimistic, and I do think over time we will return to some sort of normalcy. It's not over, and I get that, but don't let crazy times make you indecisive or paralyzed by fear. I always tell my indecisive wife that there are many flat, indecisive squirrels on the highway. Let's move on. Let's recap. In the first episode, I discussed how, simply, how simple it is to identify individual stocks that you may want to buy and why I do it myself. And I can boil it down to pretty much by saying, I made the money, I'm going to manage it myself because no one cares about my money more than I do. In the second episode, I discussed specifically as it pertains to you as an individual, what are your risk tolerances? And then move on to dividend aristocrats uh, and how that is a great place to start picking stocks. There are stocks that have been paying increasing dividends for at least 25 years. What this means to you is they're stable companies that will be low risk. In the third, fourth, and fifth episodes, I discuss what I call my metrics. They are data points that I look at anytime I buy a stock, and I want stocks I purchase to be graded upon those metrics. They are P-E ratio, which is the price-to-earnings ratio, which will help you determine if a stock is underpriced or overpriced or priced right. Beta, which is a market barometer showing the volatility of a specific stock compared to the market overall. Next, I look at analyst recommendations news in the stock, and the overall investing environment for that category or geography. 
From there, I discuss diversification and what that might look like for your portfolio. I move on to strategies, the time-tested buy and hold strategy, which for me is a buy and study strategy as I never marry a stock. I talk about buying stocks and the pop and drop strategy, which is pretty important now. Stocks trade within a range and there is a top end resistance and a low end resistance. The goal is to buy a stock at the low end resistance and sell at the high end. I utilize this strategy a lot and I'll discuss more of that in this season. In the ninth episode, I discuss buying dividend stocks. I explain the ex-dividend date and why that is important to owning dividend-paying stocks. In the same episode, I speak to high-dividend-yield-paying stocks called REITs, or Real Estate Investment Trusts. That's a little tricky in this episode or in this uh, environment right now. You got to be careful to maybe not get um, real estate REITs. In the last two episodes, I talk about analysis tools and a concept I call bucket of money, meaning I have different goals and risks for specific buckets of money. And lastly, I discuss time, my story on time management for my life. Now, I understand this has been a quick version of my first season. If you listen to it more in depth, it's more in depth than the first season. Now, I'm assuming everybody's listened to the first season to get this far. Now, full stop, I didn't even know until the past few days I would even continue this project. I've been thinking about it for the past several months, and I do believe there is plenty of content, but I just wasn't sure how much interest, how much interest there would be. I say that because my wife hates it when I say this, but basically in retirement, I'm pretty lazy. And this stuff is pretty hard to do, to write it, edit it, fact check it, podcast it, edit the podcast, etc., my life, I've never been really a lazy person. I started working at the age of 10, putting the magic marker, black eyes and mouth on plastic bottle of honey bear jars. Actually, I had the job of the red nose. It was easier because it was only one mark. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. The kid that did the three black dots was about 12, but I did get paid, but honestly, I don't remember how much. I started the story with the fact that I really am a type A kind of guy, but uh, I'm lazy now and this podcast is hard, but I'm here now and I'm dedicating myself to another season, maybe. Well, maybe one more podcast. We'll see. I just want to make my grandson proud one day. So my first thoughts financially are we got to get this kid set up on investments. First is college education and set him up to buy cars and fund a retirement. Heck, I'm just a guy who can help him. I'm going to have an episode on exactly this subject, planning for your children's future and now my grandchild's future. With a burden of retirement clearly on the individual's plate with a very small percentage of pensions in the 2020s, it's more important than ever. It's always been important, but it's more important than ever. I spoke to this in a previous podcast, as this is the pension reduction has been going on, an ongoing issue for many years. Then in early December of 2019, I saw an article in USA Today, and it spoke to pensions becoming extinct. One of the reasons was because U.S. pension plans are in very poor financial shape. So the managing of a pension fund, as it turns out, is not easy to do, especially coupled with low interest rates. And that's before this economic tsunami. So despite the gains we've enjoyed in the bull market in the last 10 years or so, the article said that nearly two-thirds of pension funds are considering dropping guaranteed benefits to workers within the next five years. That was according to a human resources consulting firm that studied the matter. The article goes on to say, most U.S. companies no longer offer 
defined pension benefits, which typically provided guaranteed monthly payments to workers when they retired. But pension funds that still operate must gain in value in order to meet their obligations. The article explains that by late 2019, the average pension fund has 85% of the funds necessary to meet the obligations they've already made over time due to low interest rates. And this was in December before what's happened in the last 60 days. It also reported that 63% of companies with defined pensions are considering termination of the plan within half a decade. That would mean the pensions would be closed off to future participants. This reality is corporate pensions continue to disappear. General Electric, as an example, announced in October that it would offer lump sum pension buyouts for former U.S. employees who have not yet begun receiving their pensions. They also plan plans to freeze pension benefits for salaried pensioners at current levels. The number of pension plans offering defined benefits, which means the payouts are guaranteed, plummeted by about 73% from 1986 to 2016, according to the Department's Labor Employee Benefit Security Administration. So the death and burial of pensions that were enjoyed by previous generations for some time has been coming to a close. Therefore, going forward, we can see a future that has us being responsible for our own retirement without little help from our employer. So full stop. That's a brief recap of my first season. And here are some of the next subjects I'll be addressing in the next season of this podcast, if I can get more out. Not necessarily in this exact order, but I'm going to talk about trading versus investing. And there's a big difference. I'm going to talk about how do you determine price entry and price exit? People always ask me, how do you time the market? Simple answer is you don't. Another one is how to run out the hard times, like this coronavirus we're going through right now. Now, now what has happened in the stock market since my last episode? And it wasn't that long ago, but I'm 63 years old now. I've been retired for over seven years. And as I said before, I'm a grandpa, and that's pretty much docile compared to the crazy financial world we've been living in. The China trade war is still in flux with very little news in solving it because this coronavirus has taken over the news cycle. It keeps the market fluctuation active as the president's tweets drive the market and sometimes wildly on some certain days. The Boeing Max jets are still grounded, causing confusion and a lack of clarity for the future of Boeing and the airline industry as a whole. The 2020 presidential election is underway, and that is a Understatement, because the House of Representatives, you know, had recently issued articles of impeachment. We haven't seen that since the 1990s with Bill Clinton and before that, Richard Nixon in the 1970s. Now, it doesn't matter to me which side of the political spectrum you're on, but this is obviously a pretty big deal. And I don't have to articulate why that's a big deal, as it's obvious. And it's the third time in my lifetime, a political crisis of epic proportions. There's a lot going on. Otherwise, you know, Russia, Ukraine, China, North Korea, I won't articulate all the global financial implications because, frankly, I probably won't live long enough or nor am I intelligent enough to, you know, explain it or articulate it to you. Most recently, though, the coronavirus has had an impact on the world. But here's the bread and butter. With all that's going on in the world, the country, politics, and frankly, the insanity, the stock market just keeps on going on. They didn't close it. They closed everything else, but they didn't close the stock market. Up and down, trending downwards. The 10-year bull market has come to a screeching halt. 
But what's going on more than ever, and as I call it in season one, is noise. You know, I read again yesterday that the market's going to crash in 2020. And I mean, someone predicted that would happen, just like everybody does every month, day of the year. But they didn't know it was going to be the coronavirus. Of course, they were right because there will always be corrections, recessions, depressions. We live in a volatile world. The stock market is one of the best arenas still to build wealth. Now, with all that noise, I filter it out. That's an important point for me, the term filter. What does it mean? It means I read and determine what is important in the news and what is not as it pertains to my investments. I filter my beliefs, thought process, and metrics for buying stocks. It's not an exact scientist filtering other than to be true to yourself and beliefs. Call it your intuition. And believe me, intuition plays into this investing arena. It has for me many times in a big way. So with all the recent chaos and with all the recent volatility, with all the noise, what have I done with my decisions and portfolio? I explained it earlier, but pretty much nothing. Uh, does the buy and hold or buy and study strategy still apply? Absolutely. I'm not going to take a loss on these stocks. Does the pop and drop strategy still work? Heck yeah, especially right now. Do dividend aristocrats still pay and continue to pay? Yep. As an example, Procter & Gamble has been increasing dividends for over 60 years. Are P.E. ratio and beta metrics still important? Yep. The beauty of how I look at things, in my opinion, things change all around me, but my plan stays the same and will endure. Let me say it this way. If you have a portfolio with dividend aristocrats that have been paying and increasing dividends for over 25 years, Let's say the portfolio delivers you $30,000 a year in dividend income. Feels pretty safe income because these are old value companies. Now, let's say you own Johnson & Johnson. It's paying you the dividend. You're happy. doesn't matter what the stock price really is because you need the income to live on. So, the, so say the guy says the market will go down 50% next year, and maybe he's right. So stock gets cut in half. But guess what? Your dividend doesn't. The company, in fact, your yield goes up. The company is still strong. Their fundamentals are still strong. You need the income to live on, and you're not relying on the stock growth in totality. Net, it doesn't matter what the stock price is, what the environment is. If you're looking for a good example of this, you only have to go back to 2008. You know, my company took a company that I worked for at the time took a stock hit of about 50 percent, but the dividends never took a hit. And in fact, the dividends kept on increasing because it was an aristocrat. The stock, like most strong companies back in 2008, recovered in their stock price. So if you didn't panic and sell to take your loss, you held and kept on receiving the dividends, the stock recovered. And not only did you not lose money, you've done just fine. You only lose money in the market when you sell for less than what you paid for. My point is this. Our socioeconomic environment has and will change as it has in my lifetime. I've lived through three presidential impeachments, several wars, different national tax plans, chaos, and noise. I just read today, if you were born in the 50s, you lived through 12 presidents. But you know what? The stock market just keeps on plugging away, making those with sound thoughts and sound judgment, doing just fine. And all this time, people have and continue to create wealth, but they have a strategy. Remember, hope's not a strategy. These things should not keep you from investing now or in the future. I'm going to end this podcast at this point. And I will move on to other subjects, and we'll see if we can get this one published. Uh, as always, good luck. I wish all of you and your families to stay well, and God bless.